Father, I thank you that we could gather here today. Father, I thank you that we do not have much, that you still hear our praises, Lord. Father, for every person in this room, every person watching online, Lord, let their hearts, minds, and souls be open to the words you have given me, Lord. They are your words, not mine. Father, just bless this message. In Jesus' name, amen. You have a seat. Well, if we have not met yet, it's probably because I'm always back there. I am Amanda Terry. I am Regen's tech leader. I've been attending here for a little over two years, and most importantly, I am also an award-winning barbecue rib champion. <laughs> this summer, we've been on a series called Teach Us to Pray. The series, we've been breaking down the Lord's Prayer and what it means to pray and how to pray in this format. So if we could read it. Should have it up on, okay. You therefore pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the food we need today. Forgive us for what we have done wrong. And as we forgive those who have wronged us. And do not lead us into hard testing, but keep us safe from the evil one. For kingship, power, and glory are yours forever. Amen. So this is a passage of scripture that many of us have memorized, but I think few of us really have experience in applying it. And every week so far we've taken a line and we are diving deeper in it. Last week Holden did an amazing job on talking about provision. This week I'm going to talk about everybody's favorite topic, forgiveness. If you will, picture this. Columbus, Ohio, 2010. A 20-year-old culinary arts student just trying to figure life out, all while being completely and utterly broken, lost, depressed, and alone. Living with two best friends, yet always still feeling alone. There was no one in the war world more hopeless. There was no light at the end of this tunnel. Raised in church, but lacking communication with God. The thoughts of suicide were there, but after an attempt at 16, that was not the answer. The, re the reality had set in. This was life, and this is just how it was going to be. Just living a life full of drugs, alcohol, and bad choices. Now let's go back even further, like a really, really long time ago. We meet a man named David who is very much in the same situation, depressed, hopeless, with nowhere to go. You see, David was a shepherd turned king. And though he had everything his heart desired in a moment of weakness, he desired something he shouldn't have. One day, David was walking on his roof when he should have been at war when he saw Bathsheba bathing on her roof. Now, if you're a VeggieTales fan, we can think of her as a rubber ducky. <laughs> so he wants her and he has her brought to her. And well, they did things that 
David should not have been doing. She becomes pregnant. Oh crap, what now? He tries to make things right by bringing her husband, Uriah the Hittite, home from battle to let him lay with his wife so he could claim the baby as his own. But he is an honorable soldier. He didn't take the bait. So, the new, so David did the most logical thing. He set Uriah up to be killed. The news broke that Uriah had died, and once the period of mourning was over, David, David took the ducky, I mean Bathsheba, <laughs> to be his wife. The amount of cover-up that David did here was insane. He attempted to bring a soldier home to fix things, and when that didn't work, he put this man on the front line where he knew, everybody knew that he was going to die. This was a major cover-up, and no one would have even suspected all the wrongdoing that David had just done. In all the panic, David still felt like he got away with everything. The cover-up worked. How often do we live like this, in pits of brokenness and unforgiveness? If I may quote the great theologian Taylor Swift here, <laughs> so this is me swallowing my pride, standing in front of you, saying I'm sorry for that night. In this line, actually in the entire song, we, we hear about a woman who regrets what she did. We don't know what she did, but when we see her in this song, she's an absolute broken mess. Why does this line have any importance within the church? Let me show you. If you'll turn to Psalms 51, that is Psalms 51, Jenna. <laughs> Here we find David, the same type of broken mess. Scholars believe that this is the time of David's life that Nathan the prophet had confronted him on all of his dirty deeds. All the things that David thought he hid so well in 2 Samuel 12, we find that God knew. God always knows. He informed Nathan to tell David that he knew. Did he really think he could have an illegitimate love child and hide it from God? God creates life. But no, David, go ahead. Try to be a wise guy and cover up your own mistakes. When David really listened to what Nathan had to say, we find him in the deepest sense of remorse. Up until this point, David was running things as if nothing had happened, and no one knew anything. But when Nathan smacked him with, what he, with this, he finally just stopped and he realized what had happened. So what did David do? He did what he did best. He sat down and he penned Psalm 51. So we're gonna go and read some of it. This Psalm, this prayer, shows us a man completely and utterly broken. A man on his knees, crying out to the one and only who he knows can save him, Yahweh. So if we look at verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. David cries out for God's mercy, using the language of the one who realized, 
he has absolutely no claim to the favor he's even asking, even begging for. He cries out to God, to Yahweh's, for his hesed. It's a Hebrew word that there's not a good way to translate it in English. Honestly, any language. So many words have attempted to capture the meaning of this word. Mercy, loving kindness, steadfast love, faithfulness, even covenantal love. Though they all seem to fall a little short. It's describing part of God's essential character and the ways of his acting. Despite David's mistakes, he knows that though he is unworthy, he still belongs to and is still loved by God because of God's hesed. It is the basis on which he even dares to ask for deliverance and forgiveness. He asks God to blot out the stains of his sin to pretty much destroy the evidence that they were even there. When David asked God to blot out his transgressions, he wanted them removed because he knew there would be a change and they had no reason to be there. Verse 2. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. David uses the illustration of washing in terms of the removal of filth as he uses the phrase cleanse, cleanse me in terms of ritual purification. What he knew had to happen in temple worship. He knew he was far too dirty to be in the presence of God and had to be cleaned and washed of this guilt. The weight of David's sin put such a separation between him and God. He was dirty and defiled. There is a need for God to remove this defilement from him to make it possible to have contact with God again and to make it even possible to have contact with other human beings. Verse 3 and 4. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. The connector word here, for, used here to connect the verses 2 and 3, is David's plea, his basis for the appeal of his cleansing, an explanation on why it's even necessary. How many times have we recognized our sin? When we do recognize it, do we sit in it, or do we ask God to take it away? Here, David couldn't bear to sit in it any longer. The Lord is the source of righteousness, not his country or his people. He wasn't denying what he did anymore. He was being remorseful. Verses 3 and 4 go right along together as a confession of sinfulness. Not just when David wrote this, but even as we pray this. We pray this as sinful people. They, who have sinned against God and are seeking forgiveness from only the one who can provide it. We can see a huge difference in David's attitude here in verse, here versus in 2 Samuel, where he was more or less worried about himself and how he could cover up all of this. Now he realized what he has done, and his thoughts are, how could I have treated God like this? We all sin, 
We all know that sometimes we do it without even realizing it. Unfortunately, it is our downfall as human beings. But God knows that, and we still try to do right. When we sin, God calls us to step back and examine ourselves and really start to ask the question of, how could I have treated God like this? David knows that whatever judgment that God gives him is beyond justified. Eugene Peterson puts it this way in the message translation. You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me is fair. God is a God of mercy and love. However, he is also a just God. David knows this, and David knows that he has messed up, and God is beyond justified in whatever he wants to do to him. David's ready for it. Life, unfortunately, isn't fair. I think that it's something we all have heard our whole lives, and I think at any point in time do we rarely say that was fair. Whether it's a criminal sentencing, a lost job, losing a loved one, or not winning the mega millions right now, even though you pray to God that the money will not change you. <laughs> Maybe that last one's just me. Uh, <laughs> the point here is things just are not fair, but God's judgment is, always has been, and always will be. I like to think of David like a little kid here who's done something wrong and knows that he's going to get punished, a grounding, like a chastising, something I'm sure many of us had as a child. I'm also sure that many thought those punishments were totally crazy and unjust as a kid. I personally remember the one and only time I ever got grounded because I was such a good child and never needed punishment. I'll wait a moment while my mother calms down. <laughs> I was in the seventh grade, and I went to a private school where we had Bible memory verses each week. We'd get them on Monday, memorize them throughout the week, and on Friday we would be tested. Well, I was done. I wasn't having it anymore. I would not be memorizing any more verses, but I also couldn't afford to fail anything. So I did what every kid does, and I wrote it on a post-it note, and I cheated. I got away with it the first week. So I was like, all right, let's keep going. Second week, I didn't get away with it. <laughs> There was less than 20 kids in my class. I don't even know how I got away with it the first time. I was sent to the principal's office, and I got a letter sent home. I had to retake the test on something about cheating or, and how it's wrong. Honestly, I can't remember it, probably because I don't have the post-it note in front of me. <laughs> I was also punished at home. I had to do the dishes for an entire week which may feel like a light punishment, but my 12-year-old self thought it was completely outrageous and unjust. <laughs> Did I learn anything from this? No. However, now that I'm older, I can see that this punishment wasn't much of anything. I can also see how it was hindering myself by not taking the time to study and learn scripture, something I absolutely love to do now. David knew whatever God's judgment against him in this situation was far more than fair. 
And I'm sure he didn't have to wait 20 years while writing a sermon to figure, figure that out. <laughs> Let's jump down to verse 7. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Here we go back to David pleading for mercy and forgiveness to be clean again. In many translations, verse 7 says, Purge me with hyssop. What is hyssop? It is what is used by the priest in the Old Testament to cleanse a person. We actually first see it used in Exodus for the Passover to paint the blood of the lamb on the doorframe. David wants the sprinkling from the hyssop to be his cleansing from this mess, something that only God can do. David knows to ask for this. Deep down, we know to ask for this as well. We need to be cleansed to live right again. When we give God the opportunity to make us white as snow, we can go back to living the life he has called us to live. And when we pray and we ask for this, we may sometimes have no words, but he sees the depths of our hearts. Do we notice a theme here? David is asking for forgiveness in all these verses. And as we move to verse 8, we notice a turn. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. David knows that the forgiveness he has asked for is upon him. He is now asking for the joy he once had. When God speaks, it will bring joy and gladness over anyone. And David is asking for those things again. He is broken, he realizes this, and he is changed. Verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Up until this point, we've been asking for the removal of things. Here, we ask for restoration. For the Bible nerds in the room, the word create used here is the same one used in Genesis 1. You know, when God created the entire universe, he wants a whole new created heart. The message translation actually says, give me a Genesis week. Make me new. When we pray this, we know that we are people steeped in sin. And there is no way in our present selves that we can go on. We must pray and ask God for a whole new created heart. It is honestly asking nothing short of a miracle. We do not need only a cleansing, but also a renewal. When we sin and pray for forgiveness, we want a renewing of God's spirit to fall on us. With that fresh filling, we are made clean. When we are at our lowest, our most broken, heart-crushed state, that is, that is only when God can really renew us. Only something that is broken can be made new. Being broken is a sufficient and necessary condition for being made new. It really opens up the space for God to work, to create. 
verse 11 and 12. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. David's plea in verse 11 is a very real one. He has the fear that God will turn away from him like he saw him do to Saul. He just wants a fresh filling and joy to be restored to this broken mess that he has become. Having a fear that God has turned away from you is such a real, real feeling. One that I think many of us know all too well. In moments of being steeped in a broken relationship, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, porn addiction, many of these things, moments, the feelings like you have screwed up too much for God to even use you or even want anything to do with you. I know all these feelings too well. Being more broken down than my 1994 Toyota Camry with a gas leak. I thought God was done with me until God spoke to me and told me to simply come back. The brokenness, the loneliness, the feeling of being lost was all wiped away when I cried out to the God who comforts, loves, and forgives. I felt like I had a purpose again. God breathed the breath of life back into me. I didn't live in a constant state of wanting to just die or trying to numb out. I prayed for the first time, and I couldn't tell you how long. God met me in my room that day, completely broken and longing for a spiritual renewal. For the first time in my life, the tears that I cried were tears of joy and not sorrow. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, almost like I was making up for lost time. God didn't just purify my heart or David's heart. When you pray and you ask for a clean heart, he gives it to you. I'm still a really messy person, but taking this template and seeing this prayer of forgiveness helps me know what amazing works God is able to do in my life. David did a similar thing. He wept. He cried out for God's everlasting hesed. He knew that God would meet him where he was, no matter the circumstance. You know, David was called a man after God's own heart, even after this little snafu. Why is that? Because David messed up, and he sincerely confessed and repented of what he did. Instead of making light of it, he was truly sorrowful, and that is what God wants from us, true emotion. Christian musician Jason Gray said, when I come clean about my brokenness, others catch a glimpse of how the real grace of a real God works in a messy life of a real person. When we come to him with a broken and contrite heart, he will forgive, heal, and make us new and clean again. Verse 13, then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. David is writing this prayer in a way that he already knows that God has forgiven him. 
So he tells God what he's going to do with this forgiveness. He will teach the rebels God's way. This is a positive outcome that comes from the forgiveness that is received. As someone who has been forgiven, you can go to others and tell them what has happened and help them restore their relationship with God or even start a new one. I prayed for forgiveness and I got it. And what did I do when I received it? I told people. The fact that I'm standing here right now is a testament to God's forgiveness and what prayer will do in somebody's life. We must understand that when we pray and seek God's forgiveness, we receive it. God does something amazing. He forgets it. He casts it out. It's not a casual statement like, oh, I had Chipotle for lunch. It's an exclamation on your life. 14. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O God, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. It takes 14 verses for David to even mention the reason behind this prayer. Bloodshed. Remember, he set Uriah up to die. And now he's finally asking for that forgiveness. To be able to sing praises again. He's been so wrapped up in everything going on. David hasn't done what he, what we have been made to do. Sing praises to the Lord. In this setting, this humble plea, we see David, one step from confession, to being on the brink of praise. God doesn't want lip service or just a sacrifice. He wants a sincere, broken, and contrite heart. He wants the heart that knows how truly little they deserve. The foundation has been laid and it is now acceptable to God. God honestly cannot resist this offering. I remember going up to my dad many times with tears for many different reasons. Each time, no matter the reason or the age, he opened up his arms and he gave me a hug. This is the same thing God does for us when we come to him with this brokenness. He just wants to be our father. He just wants to love us and hug us and restore our brokenness. Jesus invites us to come to him, all who are broken and weary, and he will give you an easy yoke. Jesus takes this heaviness of sin and unforgiveness, and he bore it on the cross for us. And he invites us to pray these prayers, to call it out. This God I've been talking about this morning is not just the God of the Old Testament. He does not change. The same God that forgave David forgives us. Let me tell you, this is all good news. Whether you've heard it a million times or today is your first time, God loves you. 
God forgives you. Even when we have so much hurt and shame to not even forgive ourselves, God looks at us and he smiles and he offers his forgiveness. David had the posture of prayer that when he was praying this, he knew that God had already forgiven him. We see this transition in verse 13 because of the attitude change. Suddenly the posture changes. David goes down from face down on his knees to slowly lifting his hands and prays. All of a sudden he realizes what he needs to do with all this. He stands and he goes and he teaches the way of the Lord. When God forgives us, don't we want to tell everyone? Whenever God does anything in our lives, we want to scream it from the mountaintop. Y'all, this is me screaming from the mountaintop. God has forgiven me, and he will forgive you if you just let him. Whatever, you, whatever you've never... Sorry. What if you've never seen or felt God's forgiveness before? What if you're too afraid to ask? It's okay. It can seem very scary, maybe even almost shameful to admit all your wrongdoings. But let me tell you something. The moment you pray for forgiveness from God, do you know what he does with all that guilt, all that sin you have? Holden read it this morning, Psalm 103. says it, he cast it as far as the east is from the west. He does not hold, hold grudges. He forgets your wrongdoings. How awesome is it to have a God like that? I invite you today, if you've never prayed that prayer of forgiveness, to do so. If not right now, then later on during worship, when our oversight team will be in the back. They would love to pray for you and help you in any way they can. I, I think Billy Graham put it best when he said, God's forgiveness is not a just casual statement. It's the complete blotting out of all the dirt and degradation of our past, present, and future. So what's keeping you from accepting God's forgiveness? Do you think your sin is too great? Do you really think that God has stopped loving you? Maybe you've never had a moment like this, and you don't even know what to do right now. David may have messed up. In fact, I'm sure he, if he was in leadership today, he'd be ruined because of this. He'd be canceled. But you know what happened to David? He was promised that his descendant would always be on the throne. Even with this incident, that promise was kept. So when I was writing this, I, God really highlighted something, and I'd love to share it with you guys. So as many of us know, David had a lot of wives and a lot of children. And David, Jesus, comes from the line of David, the mighty king that will reign forever. Do you guys know where Jesus comes from in that line? His son, Solomon, was born. Jesus was born from that line. Why is this important? Solomon's mother was Bathsheba. 
Y'all, God took the biggest scandal in David's entire life and he turned it into the greatest thing that has ever happened. Just imagine what he can do for you. As we read this passage today, we talked about the posture that it invites. It depicts a man who begins with crying out for forgiveness on his knees, that slowly lifting up, receiving that forgiveness. And then he stands up and he praises the Lord, telling everyone about it. We see a removal of sin, restoration of life, and the praise that comes with it. So, here at Regen, we want to be doers of the word and not just hearers. As we do response time, really different today. Okay, a lot different. I want to invite us to pray, to pray this psalm in this posture. We will start on our knees, and we will slowly raise up and praise the Lord. If you are unable to kneel, I encourage you to sit with a posture of kneeling within your heart. And I invite you to stay seated and stand when we stand. This is a psalm of forgiveness and praise. And today, let us seek that forgiveness God so graciously wants to give us. I'll have it up on the screen for you. If we would all, if you're able to, on your knees. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stains of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Stand. Then... I will teach your ways to the rebels, and I will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. 
rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be again sacrificed on your altar.